Welcome to Reading to Kids podcast. I'm your host, Jenna. And I'm your host, Peyton. And we're here to read to you or with you. We know that sometimes moms and dads don't always have the time or the motivation to read to their kids each night, and we know how important it is. So, on those nights that you're not in the mood, we're going to do it for you. Can't wait to read with you. Good job, Peyton. High five. We're back. That was quiet. We're back. We're back. It's been a while. We get we get really flaky when we're bored of things, huh? All right. Well, we're back at it. Book the fourth. A series of unfortunate events. Look away. Look away. <laughs> the Miserable Mill. Chapter one. Okay, stop. Okay, ready? Chapter one. Sometime during your life, in fact, very soon, you might find yourself reading a book. <gasps> like right now? Yes, because it's a book. Okay. You might find yourself reading a book, and then you may notice that a book's first sentence can often tell you what the story, what sort of story the book contains. For instance, a book that begins with a sentence, Once upon a time, there was a family of a little cunning chipmunk who lived in a hollow tree would probably contain a story full of talking animals who get into all sorts of mischief. A book that begins with a sentence, Emily sat down and looked at the stack of blueberry pancakes her mother had prepared for her, but she was too nervous about camp timber, timber tops to eat a bite, would probably contain a story of giggly girls who have a grand old time and a book that begins with the sentence Gary smelled the leather of his brand new catcher's mitt and waited impatiently for his best friend Larry to come around the corner would probably contain a story full of sweaty boys who win some sort of trophy what you know because it's his baseball mitt it's like sports um and if you like mischief, a grand old time, or trophies, you would know which book to read, and you could throw the rest of them away. <gasps> we would never throw books away, huh? No, it doesn't. Okay, all right, all right. But this book begins with the sentence, The Baudelaire orphans looked at the grimy window of the train and gazed at the gloomy blackness of the finite forest, wondering if their lives would ever get any better. And you should be able to tell that the story that follows will be very different than the story of Gary or Emily or the family of cunning little chipmunks. And this is for the simple reason that the lives of Violet Klaus and Sonny Baudelaire are very different from most people's lives, with the main difference being the amount of unhappiness, horror, and despair. The three children have no time to get into sorts of mischief because misery follows them wherever they go. They have not a grand old time since their parents died in a terrible fire, and the only trophy they would win would be some sort of first prize of wretchedness. Of wretchedness. It what is, happened? like, wretched, like, the most awful thing. They would win first prize of having, like, the most awful life. It is atrociously unfair, of course, but the Baudelaire's have so many troubles. But this is the way that the story goes. So, now that I've told you that the first sentence will be, the Baudelaire orphans looked out the grimy window of the train and gazed at the gloomy... That's not the first sentence, but okay. I know, that's true. Gloomy blackness of the finite forest, wondering if their lives would ever get any better, 
If you wish to avoid any unpleasant stories, you have best put this book down. The Baudelaire orphans looked out the grimy window of the train and gazed at the gloomy blackness of the finite forest, wondering if their lives would ever get any better. An announcement over the crackly loudspeaker had just told them that in a few minutes they would arrive into the town of Paltryville, where their new caretaker lived, and they couldn't help but wondered who in the world would want to live in such a dark and eerie countryside. They're on their way to their new... Um, guardian. Remember Mr. Poe took them? Mm-hmm, but yeah. where are they going? It looks like they're going to the town of Paltryville, and we're going to find out. Violet, who was 14, the eldest of the Baudelaire's, looked at the trees of the forest, which were very tall and had particularly no branches, so they almost looked like they were metal pipes instead of trees. Violet was an was an inventor and was always designing machines and devices in her head with her hair tied up in a ribbon to help her think. And she gazed out of the trees and she began to work on the mechanic, the mechanism that would allow you to climb to the top of any tree, even if it were completely bare. Klaus, who was 12, looked down at the forest floor, which was covered in brown patchy moss. Klaus liked to read more than anything else, and he tried to remember that he had read about the Paltryville Moses and whether or not they were edible. Oh, mosses, sorry. The Paltryville Mosses and whether or not they were edible. And Sunny, who was just an infant, looked out the smoky gray sky that hung over the forest like a damp sweater. Sunny had four sharp teeth, and biting things with them was what interested her most, and she was eager to see what there was available to bite in this area. But even as Violet began planning her invention, and Klaus thought of his moss research, and Sunny opened and closed her mouth as pre-biting exercise, the finite forest looked so uninspiring that they couldn't help but wondering if their new home should really be a pleasant one. What a lovely forest. Yeah. What a lovely forest, Mr. Poe remarked as he coughed into a white handkerchief. Mr. Poe was a banker who had been in charge of managing the Baudelaire affairs since the fire, and I must tell you that he was not doing a very good job. His two main duties were finding the orphans a good home and protecting an enormous fortune that the children's parents had left behind, and so far from home that he had, and so for each home, oh, And so far, each home had been a catastrophe, a word here which means an utter disaster involving tragedy, deception, and Count Olaf. Count Olaf was a terrible man who wanted the Baudelaire fortune for himself and tried every disguising scheme he could think of to steal it. Time after time, he had come very close to succeeding, and time after time, The Baudelaire orphans had revealed his plan, and time after time, he had escaped, and all Mr. Poe had ever done was cough. Now, he was accompanying the children to Poultryville, and it is so true. All he does is cough. He had accompanied the children to Poultryville, and it pains me to tell you that, once again, Count Olaf would appear with yet another disguising theme. Oh, disgusting theme, and that Mr. Poe would, once again, fail to do anything remotely helpful. 
What a lovely forest, Mr. Poe said again when he was done coughing. I think you children will have a good home here. I do hope you do anyways, because I've just received a promotion at the Mulchuary Money Management, and I am now vice president in charge of coins, and from now on, I will be busier than ever, and I will have to send you to boarding school until I have time to find you another home, so please be on your best behavior. Of course, Mr. Poe, Violet said, not adding that she and her and her siblings had always been on their best behavior, but that hadn't done them any good. What is our new caretaker's name? Klaus asked. You haven't told us. Mr. Poe took a piece of paper out of his pocket and squinted at it. His name is Mr. Was Mr. Quee. I, I can't pronounce it. It's very long and complicated. Can I see? Klaus announced or asked. Maybe I can figure out how to pronounce it. No, no, said Mr. Poe, putting the paper away. If it's too complicated for an adult, it is much too complicated for a child. Gand, Sonny shrieked. Like many infants, Sonny spoke in most sounds that often were difficult to translate. This time, she probably meant something like, Klaus, but Klaus reads many complicated books. He'll tell you he'll tell you what to call him, Mr. Poe continued, as if Sonny had not spoken. You'll find him at the main office at Lucky Smells Lumber Mill, which I am told is a short walk from the train station. Aren't you coming with us? Violet asked. No, Mr. Poe said, coughing again into his handkerchief. The train only stops at poultry once a day, so if I get off of the train, I will have to stay overnight, and I'd miss another day at the bank. I'm just going to drop you off here, and I'm headed back into the city. The Baudelaire orphans looked worriedly out the window. They weren't happy about just being dropped off in a strange place, as if they were in a pizza. They were a pizza being delivered instead of three children all alone in the world. What if Count Olaf shows up? Klaus said quietly. He swore he'd find us again. I have given Mister Beck, Mister Doy, I have given your new caretaker complete description of Count Olaf," said Mister Poe. "So if by home a home stretch of the imagination he shows up in Paltryville, Mister Show, Mister Geck." will notify the authorities. But Count Olaf is always in disguise, Violet pointed out. It's often very difficult to recognize him, just about the way you can tell him as if you can see the tattoo of an eye under his ankle. Oh, on, Just as if you couldn't tell it's him, as if you see that tattoo of an eye that he has on his ankle. I included the tattoo in my description, said Mr. Poe impatiently. But what about Count Olaf's assistants, Klaus said. He usually brings at least one of them with him to help him with his treachery. I described all of them to Mr. I have described all of them to the owner of the mill, Mr. Poe said, holding a finger up as if he counted Olaf's horrible associates. The hook-handed man, the bald man with a long nose, two women with white powder all over their faces, and another rather chubby one who walks like neither who looks like neither a man nor a woman. Your new guardian is aware of all of them, and if there is any problem, remember you can always contact me and my associates at Mulctuary Money Management. Casca, said Sunny gloomily. She probably meant something like, well, that's not very reassuring. But nobody heard her over the sound of the train whistle as they arrived in Paltryville Station. 
Here we are, said Mr. Poe, and before the children knew it, they were standing in the station watching the train pull away into the dark trees of finite forest. The clattering noise of the train engine got softer and softer as the train raced out of sight, and soon the three siblings were all alone indeed. Well, Violet said, picking up the small bags that contained the children's few clothes, let's find Lucky Smell's lumber mill, then we can meet our new caretaker. Or at least learn his name, said Klaus said gloomily as she took Sunny's hand. If you're ever planning a vacation, you'll find it useful to acquire a guidebook, which is a book listing interest and pleasant places to visit and giving helpful hints about what to do when you arrive. Poultryville is not listed in any guidebooks, and as the Baudelaire orphans trudged down the Poultryville Street, they instantly saw why. There were a few small shops on either side of the street, but none of them had any windows. There was a post office, but instead of a flag flying in the flagpole, there was only an old shoe dangling from the top of it. And across from the post office was a high wooden wall that ran all the way to the end of the street. In the middle of the wall was a tall gate, also made of wood, with words, Lucky Smells Lumber Mill, written in letters that looked like rough and slimy. Alongside the sidewalk, there were a row of trees that might have been... A, a row of tr- row of trees, a row where a blah blah blah, alongside the sidewalk where a row of trees might have been. That was hard to say. Were towering stacks of old newspapers instead. In short, everything that might have that might make a town interesting or pleasant had been boring or unpleasant. And if Paltryville had been listed. In a guidebook, the only helpful hint what to do here when you get what to do when you get here would be leave. But the three youngsters couldn't leave, of course, and with a sigh, Violet led her younger siblings to the wooden gate. She was about to knock when Klaus touched her shoulder and said, Look. I know, she said. Violet thought he was talking about the letter spelling out Lucky Smells Lumber Mill. Now they were standing at the gate, and the children could see what the letters look why the letters looked rough and slimy. They were made out of wads of chewing gum and stuck on the gate in the shape of letters. Other than a sign I once saw that said Beware in letters made of dead monkeys, the Lucky Smells Lumber Mill sign was the most disgusting sign on earth, and Violet thought her brother was pointing that out. When she turned to agree, with him, she saw that he, that he wasn't looking at the sign, but down to the far end of the street. Look, Klaus said again. But Violet had already seen what he was looking at. The two of them stood there without speaking a word, staring hard at the building at the end of Poultry Street's Poultry's one street. Sunny had been examining some teeth marks in the gums, but when her siblings fell silent, she looked up and saw it. For a few seconds, the Baudelaire orphans just looked. It must be a coincidence. After a long pause, of course, Klaus said nervously, a coincidence. Varney, Sunny agreed, but she didn't believe it. None of the orphans did. Now that the children had reached the mill, they could see another building at the far end of the street. Like the other buildings in town, it had no windows, just a round door in the center. But it was the way to the 
that the building was shaped and how it was painted that made the Baudelaire stare. The building was sort of an oval shape with curved, skinny sticks sticking out of the top, out of the top of it. Most of the oval paint was brownish, with a brownish coloring with a big circle of white on the inside oval and a smaller circle of green on the white circle and some little black steps that led to a little round door that was painted black. So it looked even like a smaller circle in the green one. The building had been made to look like an eye. The three children looked at one another, then at the building, then at each other again, shaking their heads. Try as they might, they just couldn't believe what a coincidence that the town in which they were to live had a building that looked just like the tattoo of Count Olaf. Did you fall asleep? Ugh, come on. She's asleep.